Welcome to CEO Interviews, a production of Gorecom in which we take the time to speak with small cap executives about what's going on at their companies. With us today, happy to have him for the first time because he thinks just like we do at Gorecom. Shafin Diamond, he's a CEO and founder of Victory Square Technologies, trades on the CSC under VST, VSQTF for our friends in the United States, and 6F6 for our friends in Europe. For those new to the story, it's going to be a lot of you. Victory Square builds, acquires, and invests in promising startups, then provides senior leadership and the resources necessary to help them grow. An example of one of those companies is our very own Fans Unite. A lot of you know Fans Unite, F-A-N-S, and Fun FF on the Canadian-U.S. exchanges. Uh, the small cap iGaming super company, which today, as I look, is making a new 52-week high uh, Victory Square acquired $2 million in stock, took the company public at a, 20, a $25 million mark cap, currently trades at $185 million mark cap. That's the kind of uh, work that the company does and, and great investment thesis. More than this lip service, Q3, record net income, $8.9 million. Earnings per share, $0.12 cents just in Q3. For the first nine months, $13.6 million and $0.18. Cents per share. They're doing great things. Shafin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, George. We're really excited. Hey, glad to have you here because everybody who's watching or most people watching know our thesis is that this decade is going to create more wealth from disruptive tech, small cap companies than the last three decades combined. You guys invest in the cutting edge of the fourth industrial revolution. Talk to us about your thesis and why you guys are on, are on the edge. So, no, absolutely. So I'll give you a quick, just a quick background on, on, on VST. So, uh, you know, we were formed in 2017. Um, again, like you'd mentioned, our focus is to buy, build, and invest in what we believe to be the next emerging kind of tech giants. These are companies that are coming from all over the world. Um, and our mission was to democratize access uh, for retail investors to these emerging tech companies that are coming from all over the world, you know, basically giving investors ground floor access to these companies so that they can invest early as opposed to getting an opportunity when the company is already trading in like, you know, billion dollar valuation. So that was really kind of the core focus of it. Um, you mentioned the fourth industrial, you know, kind of revolution. There's a quote from uh, a science fiction, science fiction author named William Gibson, and he says, you know, founders who live in the future have the best chance of winning big. You know, at VST, our thought process is aligned with that. You know, we believe extraordinary performance comes from seeing things that other people don't. And one of those things right now, currently, uh, there are five innovation platforms. Each platform itself is a, you know, multi-trillion dollar opportunity that we think over the next decade are going to disrupt uh, or create disruption across every industry. So disruptive tech that crosses, you know, sectors, geography, and markets. And we define those sectors as artificial intelligence, which right. is the backbone of, of, of all of these innovative platforms, uh, DNA sequencing, robotics, blockchain, and energy storage. Um, to give you an example of, you know, when you look at, you know, energy storage, uh, smart cars, smartphones, smart TVs, robots, and all of these new innovations uh, are all thanks to the breakthroughs in battery technology. So each of these platforms are creating tremendous, you know, opportunities. And what we do at VST is we look for the this next, you know, the new breed of companies 
that are leveraging these technologies to create disruption um, that we're going to see transform our lives over the next 10 and 20 years. Um, just a quick, you know, I started in the tech space in 1996. And at that time, you saw upstarts like, you know, Amazon and then following after Google and Facebook. And I think to have asked someone at that time, do you believe these companies are going to, you know, be the, the behemoths that they are today uh, and, and see companies like Kodak or Blockbuster, um, you know, wither or Sears wither and die away? I think people wouldn't have imagined it. But now that we've actually seen that happen, I think we're going to see a new breed of companies form today that are going to become trillion dollar companies in a decade from now. And for us, that greatness and that IP is coming from everywhere. So for VST, we have our, you know, we have our, our hands plugged into 80 accel accelerators around the world to identify these new breed of companies and then bring them into VST, build and commercialize them, kind of like you referenced with Fans Unite, but giving investors all over the world uh, access to invest in VST to get access to these companies uh, on the ground floor. And before, so I want to dig a little deeper into your process, you know, how early you find them, where you find them. But before we do one more thing on the general philosophy, the five pillars you talked about AI, blockchain, DNA sequencing, so on and so forth. When I hear that, I'm totally dialed in with you and I'm already there. Most people, I don't think they really get it. I don't think they believe it. Maybe you can kind of explain how you see so that people can really start to understand uh, Victory Square. Give us some examples of how you think the world is going to be different 10 years from today through technology. I've got some examples. Like my biggest one is autonomous flying vehicles. No doubt about it. It's going to transform everything we do. What are some examples though? So, so that, that way people can actually understand in layman's terms, some real examples of the changes that you see coming. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll start by saying, you know, the, the one thing that we realize is that people generally always want to eat, work, play, and, you know, connect and communicate with one another. What's changed over time is how they do that and how companies deliver those to customers. So, again, just going from regular mail to email um, to text as an example over the last 30 years, uh, you know, the people getting information or people sending information that what they wanted to do never changed. It's just the technology that it used to do that did. And so when you talk about like, you know, some examples kind of looking forward, um, there, there are plenty in air taxis again is, is one of them that I think, you know, autonomous driving cars and air taxis are much closer than I think a lot of people, yeah. uh, a lot of people, because those innovative platforms we talked about um, are more realizable given, you know, when you look at um, Moore's or, or, or Wright's law that, you know, the cost has kind of been, has been brought down to, to make those things more real, reality, sorry, than, than, than not. But for us, you know, one of the key examples we look at is really around the health space. So let's just look at digital health. What, what, what the pandemic did is it accelerated, uh, you know, people's comfortability with using telehealth platforms. Now, Telehealth platforms are more of a first order effect. They were there, they were always there. What the pandemic did is it accelerated, uh, you know, the adoption of people uh, using and feeling comfortable with that. Now, if you look at a second or third order effect of that, with all people, with people using these telehealth platforms, and, you know, we all have our, our smartphones now and some have our iWatches, uh, there's data being collected real time 
on individuals, or let's say a Dexcom, for example, which monitors your blood sugar level. So now we have these devices that are out there collecting data and information. And we then have that data go into, let's say software that's built to analyze that information. Um, the next step is machine learning that, you know, that takes that information and builds logic to, to identify outcomes. So when we look at outcomes, for example, you know, automated insulin delivery. So you have your Dexcom, it's, you know, it's, it's monitoring your levels, notifying your doctor or yourself on your watch or your phone, uh, and potentially automating your insulin delivery from, yep. the, from your device itself. So a lot of what we look at is really around, like, you know, we're focused on a variety of sectors, but specifically digital health with which health is quality of life. So a lot of our, a lot of our investments and in innovation are around things that, you know, improve quality of life. Those are the things that I think we're going to start to see, uh, you know, when you look at DNA sequencing, right, or, or CRISPR therapeutics, there are some, some crazy things to, uh, instead of treating diseases once they come, to be able to prevent them um, years in advance. Uh, George, one, this is going to sound a bit crude. I, I wrote an article that was pushed out, uh, uh, you know, a couple months ago, and it, it talked about smart toilets. Um, uh, or smart smart showers. So to, to to look at so these are currently being piloted right now. Where if you think about it, every day you go to the bathroom. Now this sounds crude, but your waste yeah um, tells a lot about your current your current health. Let's face it, your health daily. And so a sensor in your toilet can send a notification to your watch or directly to your doctor if something is off, which allows you to immediately um, you know uh, be proactive. To, to, to treat with treat treat that or 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 change your 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 habits as opposed to finding out when it's too late when you do your physical once a year or like in the past which I did every ten years so there's a lot of technologies uh, that are that are coming from these you know these 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 platforms I talked about again AI is really powering everything everything it has to be yeah. the platform everything the other thing I like so I'm glad you talked about that. Um, Shafin, because I think it's important because people sometimes hear blockchain, AI, and they, I think they're so inundated with it that they're almost like, okay, yada, yada. They don't really, very few people like you actually show, okay, here's some real world implications of how your life will change. And there are going to be companies who are going to, you know, multi-billion trillion dollar companies going to be created just from these kind of granular technologies. Like, I like the idea of uh, mix, you know, when you mix autonomous flying vehicles with art with telemedicine, uh, I could have a monitor that through artificial intelligence, machine learning says, I think George is going to be having a heart attack in the next five to 30 minutes and an autonomous flying vehicle, six, seven, eight years. Now I'm not talking about 50 years from now, guys, six, seven years from now, literally flies to my home and either gives me something I need Hell, you know, or, or brings a, somebody to help me, but that's the kind of world that, and it's not too far away. So if you, for everyone who's watching at home or, or listening and finding out about Victory Square for the first time, if you, if you stopped the interview right there and didn't watch anything further, that's the value proposition. You don't have to understand all the inclusions of artificial intelligence, blockchain, robotics, DNA sequencing. You don't have to do that. I mean, great, you should highly encourage it, but if you can't, don't have the time or it's not your specialty, Victory Square is your vehicle. That's so if you stop, if you listen to nothing else, that's the value proposition right there. So Shafin, let's go into the, your 
how you guys run your business in terms of your investment criteria. Uh, what We know what kind of companies you're looking for, disruptive tech inside of those pillars. So we got that. How early do you like to get into companies, right? Do you, do you get into George Com the day he starts up in his garage? Do you wait till you start commercial? So what phase do you get into? How big of investment do you, do you typically like to take? What's your wheelhouse? And how long will you stay with that investment? I think that'd be great for everyone at, at home to understand. Yeah, so a couple things. So people always ask, like, how do you find, you know, needles in a haystack? And so our response to that is we've built a magnet. And I think that, that. magnet is, you know, this venture build model is kind of our, our secret sauce. You know, I mentioned earlier, great is coming from, from everywhere. Tech is borderless. So, you know, over the, over the past 20 years, we've established relationships with about 80 uh, incubators or accelerators around the world. So these are incubators and accelerators in Singapore, uh, India, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Tallinn, Estonia. Um, and what that does is that allows us to get access to um, early seed stage companies or, or really bright founders building, uh, building things in the areas and sectors that we are, are focused on. Generally, what we like to do though, our process starts by identifying a pain point that we already want to tackle or finding a large client or customer for, for that. Um, once we do that, we then go out and look for a company um, or an entrepreneur that's working on, on something that's, that's dealing with that or, or working on that pain point. Um, so we're really scouring the world. Once we find that they're generally early seed stage companies, so we're usually the first or second check in. Um, the valuations at that time are usually under, let's say $4 million. $4 million. Um, so we take a material stake because we almost want to act like a, a co-founder. We're not passive investors. Um, we then work with that company for 12 to 36 months. Um, and during that time, we're bringing in like really bright minds. So you and I just talked about AI. AI is the backbone of everything. So a couple of years ago, we, we realized that AI was going to be important. And while companies like Google and Amazon and, you know, and Facebook and Microsoft were going and coaching some of the top AI talent around the world, we partnered up with the University of Waterloo's uh, Institute for Machine Learning and AI. So again, uh, one of the top, you know, uh, you know, academic institutions for engineers, programmers, and, and bright minds on the AI space to ensure that we could get access to uh, not only for VST, but for our portfolio companies, the, the, the top talent. So we're able to actually, over that 12 to 36 months, bring in really bright minds uh, or even large corporations or clients to validate that tech, that company's tech or, or, or IP. Uh, then after that 36 month timeframe, um, we usually spin that asset out and help them list on their own uh, as a publicly traded company. Uh, and again, they're able to then raise additional capital globally from Europe, the US and Canada, uh, and um, you know, use their stock as a currency to continue to roll, roll up. up. Your, your uh, viewers are probably familiar with what you just mentioned, Fans Unite. So again, Fans Unite started in that type of mindset. We, uh, you know, had a, a large client in the, in, the, in the gaming space. They were looking for disruptive uh, entrepreneurs in tech in that space. We found the Fans Unite team in, in Boulder, Colorado. They were already thought leaders, already being, you know, already very disruptive in esports and, and gaming. Um, we were able to acquire that business and work with that team uh, and provide and complement that team with funding and, 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 and relationships that allow them to continue to, to, to rocket like they are now. I mean, they are publicly traded. 
in the US, Europe, and Canada, a market cap of, you know, probably 150, 160 million. Actually, I think it's it's jumped from I from think that it's number. 185 million or something like that. Just uh yeah, way you up know, there. Yeah, rock star board, rock star team, uh, unique IP and product, uh, and a market leader in their in their space. And those are kind of traditional, consistent themes in all of our portfolio companies. They're all leaders in their spaces. They all have strong teams. They all have a customer market fit, so a very innovative product, um, and they execute. So you know that 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 process, that venture build model, uh, is our secret sauce, and that's what what's allowed us to build this magnet, you know, to identify these needles in a haystack. And I'll tell you what I what I learned, what even I learned today. So forget about everyone watching or listening at home. The fact that you've got both sides covered, so you're not just finding great companies at early stages, making investments and helping them. But before you get to George Calm, you've already identified a potential customer or partners so that if you make the investment in George Calm, you know, so you're almost, you're almost hedging success right from the get-go. You're not, you're not like most venture capital style investors, funds that, uh, that, okay, assess risk, take their best shot and hope they have some, some winners. You're actually making sure that your investment in ABC widgets actually has a customer partner already waiting on the other side. I think that's genius, man. No, no, thank you. And again, I think it starts with two things. One, we are looking, you know, to knock it out of the park, but risk mitigation, yeah. you know, is a key model. So ensuring that, you know, again, like Buffett always says, it's not just investing in a good investment, it's your entry point. So we want to make sure first the entry point is key, but more importantly, we have a customer. Either what we're investing in is going to solve a pain point in our existing business. So it makes sense for us or two, like you just alluded to, we already have a large customer or large client in a space um, to, to, to validate that, which again, eliminates the, the, you know, the, the, the risk or really mitigates the risk exposure uh, for us while also having an opportunity to, you know, to knock it out of the park. So, so there's value for everyone watching at home. If you stop the interview there, right. There's value proposition two and three for you, right. Uh, they've already got, somebody waiting uh, on the other side, potentially a partner or customer, that, that's, that's a big help. The other, and the third value proposition is these are, these are investments you and I, 99% of people wouldn't be able to get involved with anyway. So if they found XYZ technologies out of Estonia, you as an investor just would never have had a chance to invest that company at a two, three, four, five million dollar valuation. Victory Square gets there, it takes a really meaningful position and takes it essentially on your behalf as a shareholder, right? That's so there's value proposition number two and three. So, you know, already uh, it's 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 pretty powerful uh, what you guys have put together, Shafin. That, that's great. Let's talk about now how you generate your income because I read off those numbers about your Q3 record net income uh, for the first nine months. You did 13, $13.6 million in in income, 18 cents per share, uh, fantastic performance. I mean, I can't wait to see what the annual number comes in at when the when Q4 comes in. Um, how do you how do you generate that income? Is that strictly based on value portfolio valuation? So as your net asset value climbs, that's considered income, or you actually, or is that from exits where all right, we sold off XYZ Technologies and we made six million dollar profit that's income how do you guys how do you guys actually report income for everybody home yeah so uh a couple of things so one uh bst from a from an investment perspective 
started off by myself and my business partner put in, you know, I think the first 10 to 12 million, you know, dollars into seeding the portfolio. And our objective was to prove that we could, uh, that, you know, that our return on capital was, was significant. And so uh, we look at a couple of different metrics. One, our cost to invest in a business, uh, you know, towards what the, the, the value of that business is. Any sort of growth that gets accounted for uh, traditionally will be used as, as net income on our, our balance sheet. Now, there are, a couple of, there are a couple of things to that. One is, given that we fall under this IFRS, IFRS accounting rule, companies that are wholly owned, they don't show up at all on our balance sheet. Um, and so when we realize our unlocked value is when that company is, is either spun out on its own and our ownership goes below 50% uh, or a non-controlling interest. Uh, so, you know, in VST, there's about 23 companies um, and the majority of them don't really reflect in the value of on our balance sheet. Just ah, okay. So they're there, but you can't put them on your balance sheet because you're, they're pretty much a wholly owned company or you, or you own a majority stake in them. Yeah. And to, and so to, 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 to give you an example, so last year was, so we work in these 12 to 36 month timeframes. So the company started in 2017 and we're about three and a half years in now. So now's the time where the companies start to be unlocked from our, 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 our portfolio. Uh, and then they start to hit our balance sheet. So that started in Q3 um, with one of our portfolio companies, um, you know, was audited and given the, you know, the data and figures that the auditors were looking at, they put a valuation uh, on that company as our ownership dropped, you know, to around 20%. And in that, that net income uh, appeared in, in Q3. And you'll continue to see that as the portfolio companies, um, which there's probably three or four that are all being spun out, Fans United being one of them, but there's three others that are, that are going to show up on our year end for 2020 and our Q1 and Q2 this year. So we are very confident that's going to continue to grow. Now, once- right. So you're harvesting right now. You're in harvest season. You're a farmer. You're harvesting now. We're har well, we've been harvesting. Now the crops are coming. The, crop, the crops are out and, uh, and, 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 and they're going to continue to, to, to be coming out over the next couple of quarters, quarters. But with that net income, where we are able to unlock value for VST shareholders is, is, is in a couple of cases. One is, we have the ability to, um, to liquidate some of the position in those companies as the valuations. So, I mean, our average our sure. return on capital right now over three years is probably like seven to eight X uh, on our investments. Just oh my God, make sure you call me on your next one so I can follow you guys in. Yeah. Well, that, but that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and unlocking some, some of that liquidity allows us to continue to, to reinvest in and keep compounding that that uh, that growth and just you know there's about 23 companies in the portfolio right now uh four or five are which are, are all kind of hitting that hockey stick curve growth where we'll see them spun out and show up on our our, our books and, and the, the gains will show up on our books so do you ever um so let's say you got four you know four or five companies coming out and by the way i'm just using this as an example for everybody at home actually i'm going to use a, a low number so no one says 10 million Let's say each company uh, makes a million dollar profit for you. And obviously you're looking to make much more, but I want to, I want to use a low number. So no one thinks that we're giving a bigger number and goes and makes calculations. We'll let you guys determine that when, when you guys uh, announce, you know, your dispositions. 
do you constantly take that money and then rotate it back in uh, to new portfolio investments? Or will there be a time, for example, if you invested in the Google of our time, you know, sooner or later, I'm going to bet you guys are going to have a billion dollar win on your, on your balance sheet, right? Sooner or later, right? Does there come a point where you say, hey, you know, we can, we can take this whole billion and reinvest it, or we can, we can dividend out half of it or a quarter or three quarters of it. Do you think shareholders ever get to that point where maybe they'll see something coming back to them or just keep building the net asset value of the company, of, of, the, of, of the group, of the portfolio? No, they'll see something come back. So just, just on that note, so, you know, the portfolio we have right now and the companies that are, you know, prepared to spun out have exceeded what our initial expectations were on them within the timeframe that, that, that we've kind of set. Congrats. So I think two, two things will happen. One is, um, you know, any liquidity, any cash liquid, liquidity that we would, you know, let's say take off the table, we would reinvest because, you know, those five that are going out, there are five teed up in, you know, that are, they're doing some pretty disruptive things in, you know, the, the digital health space, um, the circular economy, um, uh, and in the energy storage space. So there, there's, so we know that we can replicate that, that 8X immediately on every dollar we put in. Having said that, one of the things that we want to do, because I'm the largest shareholder and I, I have not sold a single share of VST and, and don't intend to, um, we want to issue a share dividend. So as these companies get spun out, we want to be able to, again, dividend off some of VST's ownership, Great. VST shareholders. So this year we will do a share dividend, um, you know, for our shareholders so that, you know, they can participate in the growth of that company and they can choose whether to hold to, you know, or, or sell uh, their ownership and get rewarded in that. And I think it's good for our portfolio companies as well, because they now have, you know, a shareholder base that came into VST that's now following them. Um, and, and becoming an advocate or sharing, you know, kind of their, their journey with them. So from a dividend perspective, you know, we look at two things. One, from a, you know, we see, we continue to see really big investment opportunities currently that we want to take and reinvest in. But at the same time, we want to do a share dividend to reward shareholders, including myself, you know, who I have no intention to sell my VST shares, but I would love to have a dividend, you know, proportionate to my VST ownership in some of those portfolio companies. No, I think that's genius. I think that's great. Because too many companies, uh, we've seen in the, the, the mining world is infamous for this, right? They make a great hit. And instead of sharing some of that with the investors in some way, shape or form, they say, oh, we're gonna take all this money and see if we can find an even bigger mine. Well, sooner or later, the law of averages, you, know, you typically says that you're not gonna, you're gonna dump a bunch of money into a hole and then nothing's gonna come out, right? And then the shareholders don't didn't really get anything along the way unless they were selling the core stock. You don't want people yeah. selling Victory Square core stock. You want them to hold Victory Square, but they get a few shares of ABC widgets, XYZ AI, uh, DEF, uh, DNA sequencing. And th I think that's fantastic. I'm happy to hear that. And that's value proposition number four. So the story just keeps getting better and better uh, as we talk about it. George, on that note too, I mean, one of the things is, you know, there's there's 23 chances for investors to hit it out of the park. I mean, that's the one thing we want to give people, you know, that 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 again, risk mitigation. They're getting access to a lot of really big themes, but uh, with companies that are best in breed in those different kind of categories. But for you know, for me as an investor, like VST was kind of designed for some of the pain points I was having as an investor. So 
Number one, I wanted to be invested in a public company. I didn't want to be stuck in a private company that you know wasn't audited, wasn't transparent, and wasn't liquid. So you know, for VST, uh, not only do retail investors all over the world have access to it, but we're audited, we're transparent, and we're liquid. So it's important for us that we have to, on a quarterly basis, deliver results or, or look at things like share dividends for shareholders. Otherwise, they'll go elsewhere, right? So um, you know, it, you know, this was designed specifically for pain points that I had as an investor. I wanted access, early access. I wanted risk mitigation. I wanted a management team that was aligned and had money, skin in the game, like you know, if I was going to invest in it. And but I wanted it to be audited and liquid, like. You know, I didn't want to be stuck in something where I had no control. And, and, and again, that's why VST was, was set up for all those purposes. That's great. Shafi, I got to admit, I love your investment thesis when it comes to how you invest in your portfolio companies. I think that's great. And I love your philosophy on how you treat shareholders also. I think that's really, really special. That's really great that you think about them that way, that you want, want them to participate and be a part of that success. I, I think that's fantastic. Um, one more question for you on the portfolio side. So you've got 23 investments. Most of those you can't put on your balance sheet because you own a majority control. For people at home uh, that don't understand why, I guess that's because, Shafin, to avoid a conflict of interest, if I own a majority of ABC widgets and I can say the valuation is this high and I can inflate my balance sheet. So when you're a minority, you're not as conflicted and therefore the valuation is probably a, a, a non-conflicted valuation. So even though you can't show, you can't put these on your balance sheet, do you still show who your 23 portfolio companies are? So do you, do you show that we're invested in company A, B, C, all the way down? You may not see them on the, on the balance sheet, George, but here's all 23 of our companies and what they do. No, absolutely. There, I mean, I mean, there's two, two, two companies that are, you know, that are, let's just say wholly owned subs that we're super excited about because they show up as zero on our balance sheet. But both are companies that are, you know, that are going to be spun out in public on their own. Um, but we know that they're going to unlock tremendous value for, for us, just because, you know, the, the true value will show up on our balance sheet. And ultimately, that will benefit BST shareholders. So the, the list of companies are there. It's just the, the way that, that um, IFRS accounting works. So for wholly owned subs, they don't really show up as, as anything. But, you know, that's where there's tremendous value. Yeah. And, and, uh, Considering the fact you've got about $55, $60 million valuation, that's a pretty, that's not going to be, that's not going to be a difficult number for you guys to match in terms of a real big win on just one portfolio company with the valuations we're seeing, you know, now for small cap companies. So I think there's, there's a tremendous opportunity. By the way, I want to make a correction. Uh, Fangina is a hundred million dollar market cap. It's the dollar 60 uh, that I said, $106 million market cap. It's a dollar 60, but it's around, hundred million dollar mark cap or so, which is still a huge win, uh, a, a huge win for you guys. So going forward, what is the game plan for VST? It sounds like you're a young guy, you are forward thinking, you are investing in the great Wayne Gretzky philosophy is be where the puck is going to be, not where it is. So is it fair to say, Shafin, that you plan to have to, to be in Victory Square and have Victory Square going for a decade, even more, and just keep growing and growing and growing this thing uh, to to benefit fully from the five pillars that you talked about earlier. Absolutely, I mean, we have no intention of of, of, of stopping. I think you know the the, the innovation we're going to see over the next you know decade or two is going to be significant. Uh, we've already planted our seed 
in you know the areas you know I mentioned there's going to be five areas that are going to be trillion dollar opportunities and we want to have you know ourselves ingrained in all of those and, and, and unlock and realize that value again just going back to the fact to say hey I wish I was you know an early investor and in Amazon which I was or or Google or Facebook or, or those things early um, you know now we've seen that playbook we want to repeat that playbook. Like history will repeat itself in that. There's going to be massive wins and we want to be at the forefront of it. And VST shareholders that jump on board get to be part of that as well. So no intention of stopping. Give us a couple examples of, uh, of companies that will be coming out soon uh, onto the public markets, as long as obviously the market, the world knows about them, but give us a couple examples of companies. Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're, you know, I'll look at the next, you know, six to 12 months for us, which we're super excited about. So there are two companies in particular um, that are that are being spun out, I would say, in the next 60 to 90 days. Uh, the first is a company called Game On. So, you know, the they're in the, the gaming and esports space, you know, two sectors that we, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, grow significantly. Love those. And not, and, and, yeah, are going to continue to grow. Um, so that company is exciting for, you know, a couple of reasons. One, not only the sector that they're in, but their, their management team and board. So the CEO, again, very great founder, Matt Bailey used to work for the Brooklyn Nets, you know, strong pedigree in the gaming and, uh, and, and sports sponsorship, sponsorship space. He's assembled a board of, of rock stars. So, you know, one, the chairman of his board is a, a gentleman by the name of Jay Moses, who's on the board of take two interactive which is a, you know, $25 billion uh, publicly traded company in the U.S. So again, strong, strong team, strong management, strong board oversight uh, in that. And then they've got a product that, you know, um, is very forward-looking and, and innovative. And it, again, is turning the first screen uh, TV experience uh, to become more social. You know, we've seen cord cutting. We've seen people going towards Twitch and TikTok and these other types of digital uh, mediums for, for content. Um, but traditional TV, uh, they built a tool that can be ported onto other things, but that, that really, you know, creates a more community around a traditional TV content. So they built a great product for a space that needs it, um, great team, but more importantly, they've got distribution. So in everything we look at, you know, I think you talked about earlier, we want to make sure there's a customer. We don't want to invest in something unless we know that we can port it into a distribution uh, pipeline or a customer. They've got um, a large, you know, telecommunications giant that uh, has, has, has given them access to set-top boxes uh, in homes and bars across the US. So we know uh, sector, team, product, and distribution all there. They're teed up to go public, I would say, in the next um, you know, four, to, four to five weeks. Uh, and we think that there's gonna, it's gonna unlock tremendous value you know, on the heels of how successful Fans Unite's been. The other is another company called Immersive. Uh, Technology is, again, focused in the virtual and augmented reality space. Large, great team, um, uh, large customers that they've already built product for, like Allegiant Airlines, uh, the you know the FDA, um, uh, Kalahari Resorts, uh, ESPN, ESPN, uh, Bayer, eBay. I mean, the list goes on. Great product, great team, great sector, and great space. Um, and there's a company that's publicly traded right now that is you know I'd say is, is is very comparative to where immersive immersive is, uh, and the company is I think called Next. Tech AR or something like that. And they traded about a $500 million market cap. So yeah. it's got sector, team, product, clients, revenues, you know, they're going to be listed after game on, which we think will happen in, in probably April, 
uh, maybe May. So again, those are two being spun off. The third, which is not a spin-off, which I'll, I'll, you know, I want to talk about, which is our focus kind of on the sure. digital health space. So, you know, when we, to me, that space and sector quality of life is, 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 is going to be massive. And I think we talked about it earlier. Uh, I'm a big believer in prevention uh, around healthcare. And so we, we have a, a number of plays in that space. We've got a diagnostics testing company out of Brazil that, you know, has, has established a strong base of distribution partners and host, you know, uh, sorry, hospitals, uh, pharmacies all throughout Brazil and Latin America. Uh, large customer base of people that have bought their diagnostic um, tests. And in the U.S., we've uh, made a number of acquisitions in um, uh, telehealth companies that uh, can provide telehealth services or uh, direct-to-home uh, healthcare uh, healthcare visits. So that, that's going to be a massive, massive vertical going forward. Massive vertical, and again, you know, I think the big thing is we have the technology. You know, we've got, we, you know, we plug into over, you know, a network of ten thousand healthcare professionals in the U.S., and then that number is even more significant in in, in South in South America um, to provide those services. And then we're tying in, we're tying all of those into things like uh, sensors, uh, you know, software for your that can they can track your blood sugar levels and use you know AI and logic to determine. Um, you know, uh, you know, adjustments and changes you should have, you should make in your diet or your exercise routine. So the health space is one that we as a company are going to keep wholly owned internally because we see massive growth and, you know, multiple yeah. 30 times forward looking revenues in that space. And so we've got revenues, great IP, great team. Uh, and to me, quality of life, um, there's no price that people would, you know, that people won't pay to, to ensure that. So. And, and you know what, I mean, if I look forward if I look forward to what you can do with that, with that, the, the telemedicine and being connected to the, you know, to the end user, patient, whatever you want to call it, is step one. But every year you can add on different, uh, wow. different modalities, right? You one for insulin, one for ECG, one for I mean, just about anything. So going forward, you could just keep just keep adding services one on top of the other, so you never end up. Uh, all you do is just keep generating revenue from millions and millions of people on different modalities. I don't know if that's where you guys think of going, but that seems to make a ton of sense. You're, you're spot on. I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, building an audience first, like tech, tech can become commoditized for us. Building an audience first was very key. And so in the health space, you know, I think with our, our company in Brazil, they had a, you know, they had a rapid test, but they had one rapid test for COVID. But it was almost like a Trojan horse because what it did is it allowed us to build a massive audience. So, you know, when you have something that everyone wants, it lowers your customer acquisition cost. And so that built up an audience of people that we know right. could use telehealth. Now, once you get them on there, like you said, every year or every quarter, you're adding on a new treatment because once someone is onboarded and they're using your, your software or they're using your device, they'll look at everything um, new. Look at everything. So whether you know you may have diabetes, you may have you know arthritis pain. You may there's you know you may have diet, you may have you know gastrointestinal issues. So many things that if we're tracking your waste yeah. on a daily basis, we're able to take that data and, yeah. and personalize it to you, right? To to, to provide. Um, and you're know, just growing with the customer too. You get George a customer at the age of fifty. You know that generally people in the fifty and sixty have these issues, but once it gets to sixty or then, then there's more offering and 70. So you can just keep growing with that customer forever. And, and they'll be happy to do it because you're just making their life better 
and healthier along the whole way. So you've got them as a customer for every new product you can be rolling out that's applicable. And man, that's that's a genius long-term vision. That's fantastic. Well, I, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, look at the last year for COVID though, like qu quality of life and health, you know, was super key. That's, you know, kind of what everything we did around the pandemic was around protecting our quality of life and our health. And two, technology, it, the, the, the acceleration and the importance and need for us continue to grow. Those two things are gonna be constant for the next 10, 20 years onwards. And so for us to really, really have our, our, our seed planted in both, um, you know, builds and puts us at the forefront of, of the massive gains that are gonna happen in these sectors over the next you know, 10, 20 years. Shafin, man, one thing that's so great about, and we'll stop there because we could literally talk for three hours. Sometimes I tell companies, we could talk for another hour. We talk for three hours because there's just so many elements to, you know, to, to Victory Square. Victory Square is a sum of all of its portfolio companies, right? And I mean, it's scary how integrated they could be. How many more are you going to add on? How many more are going to be, you know, monetized and, and, and uh, with exit strategies per year? It's a, it's a fantastic company. Uh, I'm glad that we're able to take the Victory Square story to the world because it provides investors, everyday investors who, you know, who aren't, and, mo and this, by, by the way, I'm, this is 98% of who aren't uh, aware of the implications of artificial intelligence, DNA sequencing, blockchain, and so on and so forth. It gives them a chance to sit back and say, look, I don't have time to become an expert in all this, let alone try and find companies that I can invest in that would fit my criteria. I'm just going to invest in Victory Square. So, you know, I love what you guys have done. Can't wait to have you back because I get a feeling I'm going to have you back a lot, not just for Victory Square, but every time a company goes goes out, every time a company exits, every time a new company actually makes their way onto the balance sheet because, you know, you're, you're reducing your ownership. Uh, I'm excited and thrilled about your business model, especially because it shares the same philosophy as Agoracom. So I'm not just saying that as an empty platitude, but our thesis is we're going to create more small cap wealth this decade uh, than the last three decades combined, maybe even more. And the fact that you guys are actually at the forefront of that is exciting. I can't wait to have you back. Thanks so much, George. We're excited to be here. For all of you at home, you've been watching or you've been listening by podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, or your favorite podcast platform. To Shafin Diamond, he's CEO and founder of Victory Square. And when we say founder, you heard him earlier, put his money where his mouth is. Him and his partner put up $10, $12 million uh, just to make sure that they were the first money in to prove the concept. Victory Square trades on the CSC, on the stock symbol VST, on the, in the US under VSQTF, and for our friends in Europe, 6F6 uh, on Frankfurt. It's up to you now, do your due diligence. You can hear my excitement, uh, but at the end of the day, that's not you. You've got to find out if this company fits, do more due diligence two ways, get to Agoracom, we know there's a lot to digest here uh, on the hub. We've broken it down into a real understandable way for you to really understand how big, but at the same time, how specialized Victory Square is. And then from there, link over to the website. I think it's powerful to go through that, through the website, especially the portfolio section to see the kind of companies that they're invested in. Hope that excites you. Hope those company, the kind of companies you want to be part of in the future and you've discovered your next great small cap company. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.